0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting episode of Soching with Suntwe. We've got a great show for you tonight. Um, if you'll just bear with me, uh, Soching with Suntwe is a weekly live broadcast where we uh, have a different guest every week. And um, sometimes we have a, a panel of guests where we talk about a specific subject. And uh, it is me, Suntwe, otherwise known as Paul Teasdale, chatting to a different guest. And on this show, we like to celebrate extraordinary people. But not just extraordinary people. We believe ordinary people who have made extraordinary decisions and choices. So, in our in our opinion, there is no such thing as an extraordinary person. Just an ordinary person that's made an extraordinary choice and therefore lived an extraordinary life. If you guys haven't been with me before, just uh, bear with me a minute while I do the shares, so we can get this uh, show on the road and get uh, get this thing going and as many people watching as possible. Uh, I'm just going to share it to a couple of places. Uh, where is it? There it is. So we're going to share it firstly to the soshing with Suntway group. So if you haven't joined that, join it as soon as you can so that you can stay up to date with everything that's going on. Uh, I'm going to share it also to my profile. Um, if you're already with us, drop us a comment. Tell us uh, where you're from, who you are. Say hi. Tag your mates. Tag other people. Share. <coughs> Give it a go. Uh, the more the merrier and remember that this is an interactive discussion. Please, drop your comments, drop your uh, questions and let us let's interact with each other as much as possible because we do not want to just sit here and do a monologue between us. We want to get involved with you guys and really, um, really, really, you know, get some quality discussion and perspective out of the whole thing. Uh, just keep it civilized, please, because we are all here to learn something and we are all here to get along. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my esteemed guest, Chief Ntlantla Yamangwe Ndiweni from Ntabazenduna near Bulawayo, where I grew up. So, Chief, welcome. Thank you for coming and taking this time to be with us.
1: Great, Paul. Thanks very much indeed for uh, inviting me along today for a chat.
0: I hope I I didn't butcher your name too badly there.
1: No, no, it came out (laughs) good. It <laughs> <Okay, well>, good. <laughs> yes. No. Thanks very much, Paul. It's great. It's brilliant. Um, so, right. Yes. Yeah. So, to clarify
0: for the viewers, um, the chief is wearing sunglasses because he's just undergone some uh, eye surgery. So, it's very. Um, we're very grateful that even in this condition, that you are in a recovery from eye surgery, you've managed to be with us today. So, thank you very, very much for that. We've already got 32 people watching, which is quite good for. Good stats compared to normal. <laughs> so that's fabulous. Oh, that's,
1: great. that's great, yeah. No, uh, no, we... that, that's very much Paul. I mean, uh, yes, no, the shades are helping me out. Uh, the operations are going well. I've had a, a number of operations. Surgeons and the likes are doing a great job. Um, so it's as gently, gently as I plod along with the old eyes. They're getting there slowly but surely, but obviously I need to really beef them up with a Zim sign, birth him up with a Zim heat. So I'm not taking any chances. So some people might say, well, he's just wearing glasses to look cool today, but no, they're for medicinal distances. <laughs> <laughs> so to start us off, uh, could you give us some
0: uh, information? Because some two of the things that really, really interest me is one is the, the history of Ntaba and Duna and the other is the the, the cultural tradition surrounding uh, chieftainship, how you become a chief, how it, uh, all the all the details behind that because especially if there's any international audience, they will have no idea what any of that means. And wow. uh so maybe let's start off with um your family history, how you became a chief of the area, what that means, and um that sort of thing, and then we'll move on to the 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 the, the, the interesting history of
1: Ntabaz and Duna. Uh, yes, no, that's no problem, Paul. Um, <coughs> me too the uh, the, <laughs> the the, the uh, chieftaincy roles they run in the family. it's just like the uh, uh the chieftains in Scotland or any other place like that. It runs in the family, so we've been running in the family for generations and generations and generations, so it is a clan thing um, For myself, it is part of the ndweni clan uh, often covers Ndwene. Um we've been chiefs there for way back even the, from the time um Zilgarz came over who we were still chiefs and we can trace our lineage back a uh, number of centuries going all the way back oh wow so it resides in that particular format whereby you don't you don't just come across to become chief uh, there's a lineage that you follow right the way through and even in the zim legislation currently and also in the old legisl- legislations prior to that Rhodesia, south africa and iceland Everybody understood that there's a lineage to the process, just like there's a lineage to the House of Lords here in the Mm -hmm. United Kingdom. That lineage is there. It's in black and white, and they can all trace their ancestry back to a particular point in time. So that is how it went through. Uh, For myself, I followed my dad, uh, who passed away in 2010. Um, Mm -hmm. He was a chief for for, um, 71 years. Oh, wow. he was in the workplace for 71 years. He died, mm. at, the age of, he died at the age of 97. 97? 97. Uh, 97, so he gave a brilliant innings. He gave a good innings. Wow. And when you come across someone like that who's been in a, in a job for 71 years, they have learned a thing or two. Absolutely. They have learned a thing or two. Uh, you can't teach them to suck eggs at that age. Uh, these, guys, these people have learned. So when I came through on that, um, he had prepared the way for myself to say I would succeed him in that particular way. Um, And like the old chiefs do, um, they don't think in terms of five to six years. The chiefs should normally think in terms of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because our view is a long-term view. Likewise Mm. with himself, he said, well, look, uh, this was right back in 1980. Uh, when Zim became independent, Mm -hmm. um, when everyone was jumping up and down, he said, I don't feel comfortable with what we've baked in the oven vis-à-vis this new country. Mm. Oh, my son, I'm going to send you abroad. Go abroad, travel extensively, see everything, do everything like a young man should do, expose yourself to everything. And in the fullness of time, when I'm past, you will know when to come back. And that will be your call to say you've done that part of your life. You're now mm-hmm. going back to the cultural, traditional lifestyle. So in 2010, when he passed away, um, it was perfectly normal. It's as if I just picked my bags up, left my tea not totally finished on the table, left my toast not totally done, uh, went straight to the airport, went back to Nabazendul. As easy as that, I bought a house there, bought everything there. I was in local government, I was in the employment I just wrote out a quick little resignation letter emailed it over to say as of today I've resigned from the service of local government in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. I'm going back to where I should be. So mm-hmm. it was as drastic as that whereby you I suppose it's got to be inside of you Paul it's got to be mm-hmm. inside of you. there's got to be something ticking away inside of you whereby that that time comes. And you have to make that decision without hesitating, mm. without any qualms, without any questions. And people were looking at me and they were saying, are you sane? Are you mad? You've got a local government pension lined up. You've got this lined up. You've got properties lined up. You've got X, Y, Z all there. And you're leaving it? Mm. And I said, well, of course I have to. There's something bigger for me I have to go and do. And that was to go take up the chieftaincy in Davos and Luna. Um, so on that time when he passed away, I remember it very clearly. It was about uh, 20 minutes past 8, um, then August 2010. Uh, got a call, a uh, call from an elderly old boy, movie, old man, one of my dad's advisors. Hmm. His job was that. It wasn't to do anything. No one knew about no one knew what movie was going to do, but his job that had been left by the old man was when I pass away, pick that phone up, call my son in the United Kingdom, tell him it's time to come home. Mm. And that was all. There was no other uh, sort of small talk or things like that. He just said, the mountain has fallen down. Come home. That was all. And that is how the Chieftain path uh, started for myself. Um, Amazing. Uh, yes, yeah. Wow. Um, so, so part of that uh, little roadmap I was giving you its a deep one. It's within the Devele and within the Zulu nation. Uh, it's part and parcel of that, um, whereby you do prepare yourself for those kind of things. And even when you look back to the historical contexts of kings and chiefs in Devele Zulu culture, The one child that's been identified as the one who's going to be the heir parent, who's Mm -hmm. going to follow that chief or the king, never grows up in the homestead. Oh. Never grows up in the homestead. They have to send that child away for, number one, the safety of that child. Yeah. If anyone around there knows that he's the one next in line, someone who doesn't like that, they will... Do something to that child. Mm. And the second reason for that rationale is that the child needs to expose, needs to experience life. Mm. That child n- needs to know what it is like to go to bed. hungry. That child needs to know what it's like not to have everything that they would need in life. Mm. So there's no sort of like softly, softly, it's all of that. It's about go away become a man, when you are a man, then we may look at you as are you chieftaincy material. Mm. And as part of also the Devonism culture thing, even if you are the firstborn son in the clan, that is only one run up the ladder you've got. You are born first, so therefore you're entitled for that chieftaincy. Mm. But coming close to that, There are some assessments that follow you, i.e., is the person of good character? Mm. Is that person a drunkard? Is that person a womanizer? Is that person? There's a whole line of issues. Mm. And if you fall foul of any of those, the fact that you were the firstborn will not get you that shift. So for myself, I'm not the firstborn boy in the family. I'm towards the tail end. But mm-hmm. also what adds, the Chief Kayser, really, he too was not the firstborn uh, of his mm-hmm. generations. So you're looking three, four generations back whereby the assessment was such that uh, the clan said, ah, we're not quite happy with the firstborn or secondborn. Maybe the thirdborn would be okay or the fourthborn would be okay. So it's a continual assessment, which I suppose when you look at it in the cold light of day, mm-hmm. it's rational.
0: Hmm. Is Why? that is uh, that assessment conducted by the chief himself only or was it a, a spread amongst the headmen and, and uh, advisors?
1: It's the chief, the headmen, the advisors, all the old uh, men, the old women, the old gokos there, all of them will put in their two pennies worth uh, of information of to say, well, uh, second born, well, yes, maybe, maybe not, third born, maybe, maybe not, that around, that around. So it is a collective uh, decision uh, that is brought in and then when it is finally made everyone knows that we've made a collective decision for the well-being of the clan because if the clan produces a drunkard mm. that clan is now in trouble mm. the clan has to find a way of removing him from the throne the clan is going to be attacked and harassed by the local people who say how dare you produce a drunkard to be mm.
0: on so it's it's actually a much more democratic process than you would initially think it's uh, it's although the, it's coming from a singular family there's going to be a, a set of choices for the for the the clan to actually choose from so it's it's much more democratic than a, than what you would think of some kind of monarchy isn't it
1: very much so very much so there, there's a huge input into that and fair enough when the decision time comes through that decision time will be solely done by the family. But the family would have been fed in already the necessary uh, ingredients to make a learned decision Mm. for the whole thing. Because at the end of the day, the family has got a vested interest in producing someone who's good at the job of being a chief so that the family's chieftaincy is not put in jeopardy. Mm. Because it can well be put in jeopardy if The people really rebel and say, You can't be, you can't give us this. It's wrong. Um, Mm. And there's an old Devil Zulu saying which says, I'll say to you, um, translated, uh, a king is only a king because of his people. Mm. Without his people, he's not a king. He's not a king. Um, So that's my background into how I came in to the chieftaincy of uh, Davos and Lula. That's
0: amazing. I mean, having lived in, in Zimbabwe my entire life up until a year ago, and it's it's uh, it's uh, it's actually embarrassing that I don't know anything about that.
1: <laughs> I, I think it's one of those, things, Paul, that it's uh, kept quiet. Uh, people assume maybe that everybody understands it or knows it, and obviously that's not always the case. But it's one of those matter-of-fact things that... Uh, uh, so especially by the old boys and old girls. We, I, yeah, We've got a
0: couple of questions that I'd just like to address now before we continue. We've got uh, one from Kevin Nicklin. I have a question for you, sir. Is there a strong support base for the Matabili people from the Zulu people in South Africa, or is it a cold relation?
1: Um, w- there's a, a phenomenally strong relationship oh. uh, between us, um, purely because we are one and the same. Uh, Purely because mziligaz Gamashoban, the king, um, emanated from KwaZulu-Natal. And when he came over there, he fought with Shaka Zulu. Obviously, the great history behind that, whereby Mziligazi were quite evenly matched in battle. And uh, Shaka Zulu respected Mziligazi as a real soldier who could cause damage to him. Mm. So Shaka Zulu... Contrived a ploy to say, I will send Mziligazi off to fight against my local enemy down the road, but I will only give him a regiment of old men. That way around, I can be sure he's going to be killed because they're going to wipe him out. But purely because of Mziligazi's skill, knowledge of the battlefield, and purely because those old boys also knew fighting skills that the young boys did not do, they wiped them out. Um, and at the end of that battle there, uh, the old boy said to Mziligazi, uh, are you really going to give back these cattle we have just won and all these women we just won and all this wealth we just won? When Shaka Zulu tried to assassinate you, mm. we said you mustn't do that. And that from that moment on, that's when Mziligazi broke away from Shaka Zulu and uh, said, I will not give you back these cattle. Obviously, Shaka Zulu sent messengers to say, I heard you won the battle. What happened to my loot and lootl and my cattle and the likes? And Zilligazi sent word back to Shaka Zulu: if you're mad enough, come and get them. Hmm. And Shaka Zulu Julie sent off a regiment and that was wiped out. Sent off another regiment and that was wiped out. And that is where the break between the Zulu nation happened. But the ties, the gene pools and everything, they are still there. Uh, I've been to uh, Zululand so, so many times. I've been to the Royal Crow so many times. I've uh, sat down with the king of the Zulus militini so many times. And likewise with the other uh, monarchies down there uh, from Mangete, the king of the uh, Amangwe clan. I'm part of that Amangwe clan. Uh, we're very close indeed. I've sat down with the, the king of the Kosa, Zweronke. Uh, and right the way through the king of the Zwelile is Juan Debele in northern part of South Africa. Uh, the Mapenas, we're very close with those. And likewise, I've also gone down to Swaziland with King Swati as well, um, We sat down. And so there are family ties which are there. And uh, and if I say my praise names to you, you will see those praise names touching each one of those royal calls I've just mentioned, mm. signifying that. I have family links with those people. Yes, we had issues over the cattle that Mziligazi took. Those <laughs> issues were there. But just like in any good family, there will be fisticuffs, there will be fights. But at the end of the day, blood is thicker than water.
0: Absolutely. Um, we've got an interesting question here that uh, I don't like to cherry pick. So I, I come, I bring in the hard ones as well. Uh, from Nkosi Vuma. How did Chief Ndweni deal with staying in the UK, the land of the people who attacked his kingdom in 1893 to 1896? The British raided the Ndebele and looted their livestock. I wonder how he
1: rationalizes this. Um, it's like everything in life. Uh, when nations fight, when people fight, after that fight, you become brothers in arms. That is the honorable thing that is done whereby you are saying you had a fight, you have a difference of opinion, you went to battle, and after that battle, you became brothers in arms. Just like what you'll see if you go to the Sioux Nation in America, uh, who fought with the the, the Custer and all the others there, people became brothers in arms. And even if Mm. you go to an inauguration like what Obama did when he became president in Washington, D.C., the first people he ushered into the White House were the native tribes, the first nations uh, to come in and um, because we become brothers in arms. So it's about that thing there whereby we're saying men of honor fought and clashed over differences mm. of opinion. They came to an understanding about those differences and continue to live on tighter side together for generations to come. So mm. the person who wakes up today in 2020 and says, I have an issue with the British. They did X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z to my people in 1893 and did all those things and did all things. My statement to that individual will be number one, you were not there when the fight was on. Number two, you were not there when the peace and the ceasefire was called. Mm. Number three, you were not there when those brave men and women chose to live side by side for generations and generations. And because of those three identifiable statements I've just said, mm. I'll be saying to you, what then gives you the right to want to pick up the assegai today, to want to pick up the pistol today and start a fight? What gives you that right to do mm. that? when you were born in relative peace and quiet you may have not had the vote the vote other things may not have come your way but you benefited from those decisions your elders made if you wake up today and you are angry you're an angry man you're an angry woman i hate the british i hate the british i hate the british i will ask you and i'll say what do you say about your grandmother? What do you say about your grandfather? Because they're the ones who made the peace. What do you say about your great-great-great-grandfather? They're the ones who made the peace. They were the ones who were in the battle. Do you hate them too? Which you must do. You must hate them as well. Because they're the ones who were part and parcel of this decision to say, let us have the peace. Let us coexist. Let us live together and do the whole thing and so for myself it wasn't an issue there was no problem at all there was no need to even rationalize anything whatsoever i was coming to the united kingdom that's where i was basing myself and my remit from the old chief kaiser was go to the united kingdom learn as much as you can Mm. about their way of life about everything that they do so that the good things that we find amongst those people, we can bring back to us. There is no nation on earth that is just full of badness. doesn't exist. Every nation has something good to offer humankind. Every nation has that. Mm. So about us lifting up our eyes, elevating our eyes to say, how do we benefit from the goodness that is everywhere? And then we see how we can move forward. And having been based in the UK here, it was good because from the UK, I then proceeded to travel around the globe to see how other nations viewed Africa, how other nations viewed the United Kingdom. Um, Mm. Things like finding myself in Brindisi, southern Italy, whereby every time I tried to say hello to the southern Italians in English, uh, I was looking for a right hooker was they didn't want to hear that language. They wanted me to say something in Italian. They will say, for heaven's sake, say something in Italian. Don't speak to us in English. So that gives you a balanced view. Mm. I think for me, in answering this question in a long-winded way, is that COVID came. COVID showed us how incredibly small this little rock we call planet Earth is. Mm. It is. In a space of a few weeks, COVID tumbled from China across the globe. We need to understand that. We need to understand that and try and desist from looking for fights. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. I agree totally. And the, the bottom line as well is that you can't uh, you can't move forward into the future if you're stuck in the past. You can't drive a car forward if you're only looking in the rearview mirror. Sure, you've got to learn from what's happened before, but the point is to learn and then move forward, isn't it?
1: Yes, that, that's very much so. That's and, and really here, I mean, Paul, I, I think we're both of the similar mind. We are not negating the history. Of course not. Uh, folks must understand that. We are not chucking the history away. We are not negating it. We are accepting it, the history as it was, and mm. we're saying that was that time. But once again, it is also giving us uh, a calling of this age to say, in your time, what are you going to do? Absolutely. Yeah. In your time, in 2020, what are you going to do for your people, for your pl- for your little bit of dirt that you call Gavazanduna or wherever it is, what are you going to do for it? Or are you going to be a Mr. Angry mm. and bring it all the way back and achieve absolutely nothing?
0: Absolutely. Now a question from Melanie Pike. A question, Chief. As part of your lineage and tribe's history, what is the one core fundamental value or teaching that you'd like to share with the world that you feel would be of value today? That's an amazing
1: question. It's power. It's powerful. Yes, it's profound. It's profound. And it's a great question. Um, for me, really, it's, it's touching on my statement just now that I was talking about. I, I'm talking about just one word. One word Ubuntu. Ubuntu encapsulates everything that defines a human being. If we were to take a human being and put them in a little uh, distilling cube to try and analyze, to say, what is this species? The answer that should come out from there should be Ubuntu, Mm. which is the goodness of humankind. the, 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 The optimism, the hope, the faith of humankind. That spirit within yourself, that comes up even when things are so tough and so hard, that spirit must still be there bubbling away to say, I will not give up. That is the Ubuntu that I'm talking about. It's that same Ubuntu that pulls you across the road when you see someone being beaten up and you want to go and defend that person. That is the Ubuntu there. It's the same Ubuntu there that stretches your hand out to help out someone who's in difficulty, who's in trouble. That is Ubuntu part of the whole thing there. And Mm. Ubuntu takes you away from yourself. Ubuntu takes you away from your your egos, from your beating of the chest. Ubuntu puts you on the back burner to say, I am part of humankind. I will leave my footprint on humankind by the things that I do. Mm. And in saying these things, Paul, I'm not saying that the person is going to be soft and woolly and waffly no ubuntu has a line drawn in the sand which says these are the acceptable things that we accept as people you cannot cross that line you cannot do that so it has checks and balances to it so it is not just all um do good do good no it's far removed from that it has a steel in it that says These are the morals of our people. These are the morals of our time. This is how we want to do things. So I think that's one thing I would like to impart to the world if I was given that opportunity to say, uh, yes, you have geographical states, you've got political states, uh, you throw insults at each other, you fight against each other. But can you sit down and see what are the common denominators you have amongst yourselves? They are far more than the differences that you have,
0: absolutely. Um, the next question is: I think we've kind of answered it already in the in the when we're talking about uh, uh, retrospective type of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reflection. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, Trav Norki is saying, Good evening, Chief Ndewene Bayete. My query ah. is. My query is that the Ndebele nation was born out of the Mfekane movement, a bloody migration that settled in what is now Matabili land. Do the Ndebele people feel remorse for the thousands of lives lost in this movement? I mean, um,
1: it's one of those things where we've touched on it a little bit, um, um, whereby it was a time, it was an age, it was a place, whereby differences were sorted out on the battlefield. Mm. Uh, that is how nations resolved their issues. Um, so you have a situation whereby Ziligazi left Enchantega, um, uh, uh, left uh just in the corner of KwaZulu-Natal, uh, to migrate with his people. Purely, was, he was saying, I'm up against a hard place on a rock. Shaka Zulu will never accept me as I am and Shaka Zulu has tried to do me in. So Mm. the man had to go somewhere, had to do something for that. Um, And if you look at the greater picture, had he staged them, under Shaka Zulu, the Zulus, no doubt, would have expanded even more Mm. with two men working side by side. And uh, that issue of the Mfekrane and the likes there would have been even more pronounced because now... You would have been looking at an engine that's firing on all pistons. And really, if you're looking at the the, 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 shall I say, the landscape of today, we would be talking of a South Africa that's much, much, much even bigger. Mm. South Africa as a state could even have gone right the way up until the Zambezi, would have even gone into Malawi and further afield, purely because, yes, we have it. Uh, so, Shanahan, there he is on the coast of Mozambique, going all the way up to Kenya. Uh, there you, you have. Pezzini uh, on the Zambian side also progressing, going further there. And they, when they went further that side on the Zambian side, uh, they stopped being called Guni people. They became called Goni people, but we're one and the same. And you'll find mm. Goni people in Malawi and the likes. So I think it's a balancing of scales of whereby you're saying what was good, what was bad. It happened. Um, What you ended up with in the Matiwili nation is that you now had a a melting pot of Mm. the nation of Sadak. So when you come to Matiwili land, you'll find Zulus, you'll find Xosas, you'll Mm. find Swanis, you'll find PDs, you'll find all the other nations you find in South Africa in one uh, modern nation called Matiwili land. And that became a, a melting point. And it's one of those things. When I was giving another talk, I was saying Ziligazi was the first builder of a rainbow nation in uh, what's it, name, Matiweland, be purely because he had these different nations under him. Hmm. And yet somehow they maintained their languages, they maintained their cultures, they maintained their traditions their distinct attire, their distinct cuisine. They maintained all these things under a singular monarchy, Zilegaz. So it's scales of justice. It's scales of justice. I mean, if I can give you an answer straight from the coalface. I was with uh, King Mabena, uh, the king of the Devela Nation in the northern part of uh, uh, South Africa. And we're chatting away, and he says, I hear you are trying to resurrect a new devil king. And I said, Your Majesty, yes, that's right. And he said, But I am the devil king. <laughs> I am the devil king. That madman, Ziligazi, cut my nation in half and took half of my banners with him to mm. the modern day brilliant there. And obviously, we had the laugh and joke about it, but obviously, I was. Looking over my shoulder and twitching a little bit to say, could this thing turn nasty? But it was tongue-in-cheek whereby we're recognising history, we're recognising what history was, and we're saying there were goods and bads in everything that happened, how can we make it better now?
0: Yeah, so th- there's a good comment from Robert Doyle that uh, matches that sentiment exactly of the of what we've been talking about. He says, thank you, Chief. With some people's attitude, we should even go back and hunt the Romans down. Bless you, sir. You come from a generation of thought on the same lines as Tata Mandela. So on to my question. Why are some leaders promoting such hate, such as the EFF? Just before you add to that, I mean, uh, Rob, this, this hate... Uh, and division is, is a tactic of politics of the day. Just look at American politics. All they're right. doing there at the moment is creating hate and division. So I think <laughs> it's yeah. you know div- it's an old thing of divide and conquer in my opinion. But anyway, sorry, over to you, Chief.
1: Yes, no, you're right, Paul. You're right. It's, it's, it's the old adage of divide and conquer and do that kind of thing. And for me really, when people go along, I'll use the word go along with gutter politics. Uh. Um, it, it, it really achieves nothing at all because it is pulling everyone down to the same gutter level which really, that's where people don't want to be they want to be at the higher place and it takes people of stature it takes statesmen, stateswomen to look on the other side to look at uh, what's on the other side of the mountain to elevate the people because that is what it's about if you are If you've been blessed to become a leader, Hmm. surely you don't want to lead your people into the gutter so that their lives are full of misery, so that their lives are full of hate, so that their lives are full of strife and fighting and aggravation and all of those things. Hmm. If you are a genuine leader at the very heart of yourself, at the very heart of your essence, what will give you pleasure, is to see your people excel. Mm. It's to see your people excel and live full lives with everything coming in towards that. Um, So really, I think it's a learning process and uh, politics are politics. Some people will realize that my best um, political slogans come from uh, attacking other people, antagonizing other people, and they'll go that way around. But... Mm. For the likes of myself, I'm a man of hope. I'm a man of faith. I always say um, light can never, I mean, darkness can never overcome light. So I always put it on that particular level that whilst Mm. we have that, that is life, that's how it is. But it is for the likes of myself and others of my ilk to stand up when such things happen, to say they peace when things happen, to chastise when people engage in those kind of things. The mm. worst possible thing I could do would be to sit down and keep quiet. When right in front of me, mayhem is happening. I couldn't I couldn't do that. Mm. I couldn't do that, it's not in me. Every every fiber in my body, every cell, every molecule in my body would be saying, Chief and stand up, speak for heaven's sake. Speak. Tell the people no, that's not good. And mm. um, so that's part of life, that's the mix of life that we have. Wow.
0: Um, we've got a special greeting from our common, ma- uh, common friend Buzz Davies. Hello from ah. and Good to see you both.
1: <laughs> Buzz, hi, 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 Buzz, how are you doing? I hope you're <they're> doing well.
0: <laughs> um, let's see, there's so many comments coming through there. <laughs> um, Kevin Nicklin again. Do you think there will ever be proper truth and reconciliation process for the Hundi atrocities committed in Matabililand?
1: Um, That one really, the answer to that is yes. Um, Proper reconciliation will happen. Um, The only thing that's made this process take so long that has come over as if there's a huge impasse that we can't deal with it um, is the simple fact that those who were engaging in the 5th Brigade and the Ndebele genocide are the ones who are still in power today. I know this may offend people, get people angry and people will be whistling and throwing mud toward my way and things like that. But those are the basic truths to say that when we have a new administration in office, Mm. the issue of the Ndebele genocide will be resolved. It will be resolved at the beginning through a judicial process. Mm -hmm. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because humankind has said genocide is the worst possible crime known to man. Therefore, if we do not resolve it at the beginning through a judicial process, we will be saying, in effect, it is perfectly okay for people to do genocide against the Indian nation. Mm. And if you go down that road, you are now challenging the rule of law. You are destroying the rule of law. So there are some things, like I was saying earlier on, whereby you draw a line in the sand and you say, these are our acceptable norms. And so the issue of the Indian genocide will be resolved. People will be put in trial. Some people will end up in jail. After that whole process, there, they will then follow uh, peace and reconciliation, and a meeting, and a going forward, and all those other things that come after that process. Um, so I know at the moment they're trying to push it very, very hard indeed that the chiefs become the four guys for this really mm. uh, issue and somehow blockade it from ever coming out. Uh, that's just a waste of time. It uh, it won't go far. It won't achieve a great deal uh, because at the end of the day, it will end up in a court setting, um, mm. so it will be resolved. Wonderful. Um, just before we
0: continue, uh, I just want to say again, uh, we're, time is going so quickly. Uh, so I just want to remind everybody that this happens every week. Uh, we have a different guest every week, uh, sometimes a different topic. So join us every week at the same time, same place. And uh, yeah, let's all get our perspectives changed a little bit and uh, learn some stuff from people from all sorts of walks of life from all over the world. Um, we have so many different guests lined up and so many different people from all over the place that uh, hopefully it will keep you guys interested. We have only got 20 minutes left. I have got a couple of my own questions that I am going to throw in uh, but I want to address as many of your questions as possible. So if you have got them, please start dropping them in the comments now and we will uh, we will get to as many of them as we can. We have got a, another question from Robert Doyle. He says, uh, last question uh, and then I will sit back and relax. Paul and Honourable Chief, there was a talk of creating a Union of Southern Africa, opening the borders and one Union with all countries in Southern Africa. If I remember, uh, would incorporate Angola across with DRC, Zim, Zambia and Mozambique. I guess a pipe dream, but what an awesome dream if we worked as one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, gentlemen.
1: Yes, I know that is a brilliant uh, uh, reminder to a beautiful idea that came through. Really, in in essence to that, there's everything to play for. Uh, the reason why I'm so optimistic, the reason why I I, I answer straight away by saying there's everything to play for, is purely because we're looking at a time and space whereby we have to allow those who engaged in the um, liberation uh, uh, fronts in all of these countries to step aside, purely because They were of that particular generation. They did what they did at that particular time. But what I can say with big reassurance, and having met many up-and-coming young politicians from across the region, um, from Sadak, from Central, from everywhere there, that kind of conversation is there purely because they now realise that the future involves regional blocs. That is the future. That is where we're going to. Zimbabwe can never, ever, ever be an island. It's impossible. No matter how much you want it to be, it will mm. never get. Paid. So the other side of the coin is you've got to say to yourself, then, you've got to say to yourself, then well, okay, let us expand and uh, begin working together with other blocks, with other nations coming together. Because after all, we have a lot of commonalities going through that whole block, and mm. it would be an awesome thing. I mean, from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean, right way through like that, it will be powerful. Was South
0: Africa included in that?
1: Um, yes, it was. Although they, they joined the conversation very late, they uh-huh. joined the conversation very late. But in the modern age, that could always be put into that uh, to 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 make it happen. Um, mm-hmm. So there's everything to play for. So before we before
0: we run out of time, I really, really, really want to hear the story of Zenduna from you directly. I've heard it from Buzz and Carol Davies before. Um, and it's a story that I absolutely love. And I, one of the things in my life, I absolutely love stories. I love to tell stories. I love to... Um, so I would love to hear the story of of why it's called Ntaba Zunduna, how it came to be, and the history of that specific uh, mountain or hill. Wow. Or, ah,
1: yes, yes. Oh, no, it's a beautiful story. It's a great story. Um, it started off once again with... Uh, Way back in KwaZulu Natal with uh, 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 the king over there, uh, the Kumalos there, um, and saying, Well, okay, what can we do about the situation? Uh, the mere fact that he needed to move away from Shakasu. And word came to him uh, that, of uh, course, there is a mountain. There is a mountain up north, due north. Uh, you'll find this mountain on an open plain. It is by itself, it's a flat top mountain. It will have two conical hills on either side of it. That is where you will have your kingdom. So we're looking at a story that's really coming very close to things like Exc- Excalibur and all sorts of things. When you go back to that ilk whereby you're saying, how do they know? But they knew, they knew. So when Ziligaz left KwaZulu, he was not aimlessly wandering. He was looking for what he had been told looking for it it's a shame he didn't have an aircraft he grew flown he found <laughs> but <laughs> he was going by foot uh, with the nation a nation that was growing all the time as he progressed as he progressed so when he'd gone on the other side of uh louis Trekhardt, going towards the, the limpopo and the bank there he said look we don't quite know where this flat top mountain is. So I'm going to ask you, my elder chief, Gondwan and Dwen, one of my ancestors, Gondwan and Dwen, take half of my nation with you. Take the women folk, the livestock, everything with you. You proceed due north, looking for this place. I will veer off to the left a little bit, maybe from this side, and that is when the king went down towards uh, Zambia and all that places there. But Kondwan and Brent proceeded due north, and he duly came across Davos and And when he came across Davos he said, I found the place. This is our home. We will hunker down here. And so they did. Um, and he was hoping that the king would come by very quickly, uh, resume his throne and resume the work. The king did not come. The king was lost. He was lost in the bushes. He sent word after word Nothing came back. And so, with the other chiefs, Condwall and Dwayne and all the others, they sat down on it that was in the mountain. And they said, Well, what do we do? It would appear our king is lost or our king has been killed. Ah, what we have here is we have there is his son, young Kurumani. Let us crown Kurumani king. At least, if we crown Kurumani king, that means that. The festivals, the festivals of the harvest in wana will be celebrated because that festival can only be called by a king. Hmm. And so people were restless, they're saying, We want to celebrate our, our what have you our, 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 our feast and the whole thing will." They crowned uh Ngurumana king. And in a very short space of time, word comes through the king is on his way the chiefs were saying, ah, yeah, what do we do? We have a king. we crowned his king, and the real king is on the issues. And when the king came, he got all the chiefs together on Thousand Duda Mountain. And he said, my chiefs, how can one sun rise when the other sun has not set? You have now corrupted my son." And so the king took out a regiment and said, this regiment will take and escort my son, Gulmani, back to KwaZulu uh, because he's now been corrupted. And they were making their way back to KwaZulu, but they never quite got back to KwaZulu. They stopped over at uh, Rustenburg in the northern part of um, South Africa there. So when you go to Rustenburg, you'll come across uh, Gulmani School, Gulmani Cemetery. Gulumani Road, Gulumani this, Gulumani this signify that the heir apparent stopped there and that's where he passed away and lived the rest of his life over there. But in the Daba the Mountain itself, after that uh, whole thing that uh, happened, the king was obviously furious. The king was spitting blood and obviously they had a big Ndaba there to identify who were some of the ring leader chiefs that had actually taken this on and done this particular deed. One Mm. or two two of them were killed at the side of the mount. Um, My late uh, ancestor, Kondwane Nguyen, who was leading the whole side of that uh, nation, he ran into his Asigai uh, purely because it was uh, an issue about honor. um, When the king had been away, Um, Mm. I wandered amongst the maidens in the royal enclave. And he made one pregnant. Uh, and so for Nkurumani, and so for Kondwan and Dwen, it was a matter of honor to say, I, I'm his uncle. I should not have done that. So he literally put his assegai in the fork of a tree and ran into it uh, at the side of the mountain there. Uh, oh. And so <laughs> you're looking at a mountain that has a, a, a whole storyline to it. And basically, when you look at Zim and when you look at Matabiland, that is where the nation started. In Metebeeland, and it spread from Tabasenduna going outwards into all the other regions that we now know, whether it's Lupani, Plum tree, wherever it is, it emanated from there. And so Tabasenduna has a huge significance uh, to the Ndavila Nation, um, and it's uh, yeah, that's a very shortened version of it. Looking at that's the time. amazing, amazing story. Um,
0: so now, one of the big things that, uh, that you're working on at the moment and something that you've, been, uh, that you've put your, your energy into is something to do with uh, diaspora and votes. Yes, Paul. Yes. yes. This is a very important topic. And, I, and uh, one, of my, one of our common friends, again, is uh, in the comments, Malume, saying, uh, I also want to hear about my right to vote when you get a chance. <laughs> so I think this is a good opportunity to address that and go into what you've been doing and what the plan is.
1: Uh, yes, no, no, it's, it's a great um, endeavor. It's a huge endeavor and it's a, a profoundly important one. Um, to give people an idea, a glimpse, um, the United Nations figures for Zimbabwe uh, in the last elections, they estimated that the Zim population was 14.9 million people. It was really? an estimate. Yes. It was 14 an estimate. 40? No, 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 one four, oh, one 14. Oh, 14. Okay, okay. 14.9. 14.9. Uh-huh. So that was the estimate from the UN about the Zim population. Uh, that is in Zim and in the diaspora and all over the whole place. And then the UN then proceeded and said in the last elections, the number of people who were registered to vote and who voted in Zimbabwe were only 4.8 million. So only 4.8 million people voted. And yet the population is estimated at 14.9. So we are looking at a shortfall of 10,100,000. That's amazing. That's
0: yeah. That's, uh,
1: that's critical yeah. mass. Yeah, it's a critical mass, and your mind starts to race the minute you start hearing such things. So we are saying, well, okay, we have 10,100,000 people who somehow vanished, or what happened to them, we don't know. Let us say, okay, Zimbabwe is a young population, and let us say five million of those people were underage, therefore could not vote. Hmm. Okay, so we're given five million. We are still looking at over five million people, where are they? Hmm. And we have a very good indication. Tabum Bege, when he was president, he said in South Africa we have roughly about three million Zimbabweans. So out of that five million, we're looking for we know that there's at least roughly about 3 million in South Africa. That was mm-hmm. during biggest time, but there's been more immigration to South Africa in the meantime, so possibly that 3 million has gone up to 3.5 million, 4 million. And then in the rest of the world, we're looking at at least another million of Zimbabweans all over the world. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at those figures, you're saying those 5 million-plus people. Were denied the vote because they were living in the diaspora. Mm. They were denied the vote by the government of Zimbabwe because they were living in the diaspora. Logically, you're saying, wow, if they could vote, well, they outnumber the current number of people who voted last time, who were only Mm. 4.8 million. So the diaspora is sitting on a phenomenal power, a huge power which it has yet to exercise. As I'm sitting here, as we're sitting here talking, Paul, we could literally, in the diaspora, vote in a government that has been chosen by the diaspora. Mm -hmm. That is us for the taking. We could do that. It's there. All that's required is for us to to get the vote to do that whole thing. And so for my work and the project that we've done uh, under my right to vote, We've registered the organization here in the UK. And for us, what we're saying is that we are independent from ZEC, from the Zimbabwean Election Commission. We are mm-hmm. independent from the Zim government. We want to register as many Zimbabweans in the diaspora as possible. And when we register all of those Zimbabweans, whether by birth certificate or passport or ancestral rights or any of those criteria, we want the more the merrier. Even if you've been in the out of Zim for the last 20-odd years, get up and register. Mm. If you've been away for umpteen times, get up and register. Because when you register with my right to vote, the next step that we will do is that when the election comes or when we feel that there's a need for a referendum on anything, we will then contact all of that diaspora globally to say on such such a date is election night when people will vote. And for mm. us... Using modern technology, we want you to register with IT with uh, 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 on your smartphone, on your laptop, on your email, so that it will take you two minutes to do that. And having done that, even the voting process of it, you'll be able to vote even if you're sitting in a Kentucky Fried Chicken. You'll be able to vote even if you're sitting on a train. You'll be able to vote. We don't want people to be queuing anyway. We do, mm. we definitely don't want people to be going to embassies anyway. We want people to be empowered so that they know that whilst I'm doing my job here in England, while I'm doing my job here in Auckland, in Brisbane, in Berlin, in Washington, D.C., wherever you are in the world, we want to give you that vote so that Mm. you are empowered to select that government. And for us, when we do that, it will then give us the the authority and the power to determine what happens to them. So Mm. that even if They totally blank us and they're not interested in what we're doing. The mere fact that we would have garnered such a huge voting populace will make us a voice to be reckoned with, whereby we could actually say on election night, we have voted in a new government from the diaspora. Hmm. And suddenly the whole conversation changes. Suddenly those guys who've been too used to controlling everything are looking at a different landscape to say okay the tables have turned and for us it's about the issue of saying when we announce those results us walking into down the street here is what the people of zimbabwe want we put it Mm. down on the table and the my right to vote uh, program is not just a single thing it is the first step in the road map for them so you have the my right to vote that's step one Step two after the myraj vote is the conference for Zim, whereby people will be invited to a G7 nation to have a conference about Zim and the way forward. And mm-hmm. in that conference, there will only be one discussion, how to form a transitional government for Zim. That is all. Purely because the problems of Zimbabwe are so multifaceted, there are so many, you'll never be able to sort them out. The only way you can sort them out is by starting at the apex and say, let's form a transitional government which will be full of technocrats and people who know what to do and who will sweep the house clean in them. who will resuscitate democracy, who will bring back the rule of law, who will do everything that we take as normal when we are out of mm. them." Bring it into that domain so that everyone is under the law, so that for the first time we can pin down corruption and get rid of it and push it to the side. That is the process we're looking at. So when people look at my right to vote, don't look at it as, oh, it's just a voting thing on its own. No, it's a process. It's part of a process whereby when you register with my right to vote, you are in essence saying, I want to use it. And I want to vote for a new Zim, even if I'm here in Dublin, in Ireland. Mm. I don't have to fly all the way to Zim. I should not have to go to the embassy. I can do it sitting in the Three Ducks pub in Dublin, in Ireland, and vote for my new government. Mm. So it's for the first time actually empowering those in the diaspora to say, you can do something. And one of the reasons why it pushed me to that level, I was saying, the poor guys in Zim, they've been bashed. They've suffered so much. They don't have the strength anymore, the oomph anymore. We cannot ask more of them whilst we're sitting in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. The poor lady, the last time she said she was hungry, she was beaten up for saying I'm hungry. So for me, I'm saying on this occasion, this time around, I'll be asking and canvassing all Zimbabweans in the diaspora. And for me, I don't want to know what political party you support. It's irrelevant to me. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I just want to give you that power to vote. If, you want, if you're a member of MTC, fine. If you're a M- member of ZANU, fine. If you're a member of MRP, fine. Chief Ndweni does not want to know who you support. All chief wants all Chief Mgrini wants is he wants to give you the authority to vote. Hmm. That's what he wants. Because he knows deep down that when you get that vote, the authority to vote in a Zimbabwean election from the diaspora, you will have a new government.
0: Absolutely. That's incredible. That's something that uh that's definitely something I could fully get behind. So the the big the big question I think everybody's thinking right now is how do we as individuals practically get behind and support this initiative?
1: Um, at the moment, all we have up and running is a Facebook and a Twitter um, uh, account. Those are the, the hangers we're looking at at the moment. My right to vote, my right to vote on those ones there. We're midway in preparing the website for that and midway preparing other things so that we can begin taking the registration um, on the internet, on the web, or wherever, whatever system you want to use your phone, your laptop, whatever it is, begin that registration process. And when we begin that registration process there, that is when actually the whole thing is going further with that. So I will say to the people, and many people have been asking me that, I will say, please just keep a lookout on social media, keep a heads up on social media. When we are good to go, we will tell everyone in a big way how to do it step by step. Was at was uh, at the apex of the whole thing. We have to make sure that the system we put in place is scrutinized internationally by those who are used to facilitating elections. So we want mm. to be quick and clean. We don't want any innuendos of corruption or fraud or what have you. So we need to put it put it together in a proper way so that those people who will come in and give us oversight can say, Chief and Granny. Your organization is good to go. It's bona fide. Start doing your database. Start registering. Start doing everything with that, and then we are can go.
0: Amazing, that uh, that uh, you know, as you said, you will hear about it when it's uh, when it's when when it's time, and you'll certainly be hearing about it from my platform as well. I'll definitely be making as much noise Thank about you. it as possible. We've gone over the one-hour mark, which is uh, quite fine, but I think we're going to wrap it up there on that uh, positive note. And um, just want to say again, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute honor. And um, yeah, I, I think we have—we've only got halfway, if even that, through our conversation. So we will definitely have to regroup and do this again. Um,
1: if you, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, uh, maybe give it a couple of months and we catch up again and see how all the initiative's going and see how things are happening. But uh, what a great, great, great uh, chat. Uh, I've had such a great time chatting to you. And uh, yeah, I'm inspired for an, another week at least.
1: <laughs> Paul, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the chat. And I just enjoyed the opportunity to actually interact with people and people ask questions and we just chat along, which I think we can do so much. But, you know, Great, great. Yeah. So,
0: to everybody out there, thank you for joining us and thank you for your valuable input. There's been some amazing questions, amazing comments. Um, I'll say it one more time here every week, and uh, different guests, sometimes we bring them back. And I I have a feeling that uh, Chief Ndoweni is going to be coming back soon. Um, So, yeah, join the group, um, Mm -hmm. get involved. And uh, also for those of you that are a bit worried about having missed half of it or joined late, this will be on YouTube tomorrow, and it will also be uh, available on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. as of tomorrow. Just give me until the afternoon, okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's All right. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Yeah.
0: That's it. Signing off, everybody. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.